welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing this week? Good fella. Excellent. This was a week of the community call. You got your you got your whole team rolling out onto that sucker. I liked it. Yeah, right. I mean, Seb's two months in. I was just looking at my kind of. Do we have these manager like hub portals and see like the tenure of people inside Microsoft? And I mean, it feels like he's been here a lot longer than that. But Seb presented on um, a demo he'd put together and. Jeremy Kelly talking about SharePoint site collection level permissions and Nicholas Moreau was talking about search APIs VAing. Um, and we even had an update from Kendall on um, what we're doing around the graph care uh, program, which was really cool. We're, we're actively moving to Microsoft Q&A for all of our questions. So yeah, it was great to have Seb drive that and you know the benefits of having a scaling team to get across all the different engagement touch points we have for graph. Yeah, it was great. Uh, although I was teasing Seb at the beginning, don't screw up, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, he did a great well, job. The, the luxury he had was that I wasn't actually even in the call because there was an executive <laughs> meeting I was in at the same time. <laughs> so probably, I mean, not that I'm like glaring over him going, make sure you do this correctly. But um, I'm sure in the back of his no, mind, no. he probably felt a bit more at ease. It was a community call. So I don't think anyone's expecting super spit and polish. It was great. And, you know, he tossed it around and people had questions and they did. So great job again around the team on doing that. Yeah, I prefer the tone when it's a little more friendly and approachable than some kind yeah. of formal like, you know, and for our next yeah. stage in this meeting. Yeah, yeah. It encourages more feedback, I think, too, to get people to yeah, do that. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So uh, the, the the Microsoft uh, Borg has been busy in this week. I found a ton of links. We we called a few down. The first one is a, a former uh, member of your team back when you did different things. Uh, Vincent released a, a blog post about the Microsoft Graph SDK for Java. Yeah, yeah. It's been great to see him. I mean, obviously, he was kicking wins as a PM and you know, save the day on our throttling pages and getting that all up to snuff. But now he's over in engineering land. Um, you know, if, if you go and have a look at the commits he's done in that repo around the Java SDK, it's incredible. Um, so it's really good to see him not, not, not in through all those things and get out V3 there. So, And, and you know what? I, I follow the .NET SDK repo, obviously, and he's got a ton of work in there too. A lot of reviews and tweaks and updates, docs yeah, and stuff yeah. there. So, yeah. Yeah, he's part of the Montreal Massive, right? We've got like Seb and... <laughs> Vincent and Daryl up there. They're all they're having a pint without you, probably, huh? Yeah, <laughs> watching the Canadian hockey teams play. They got it set. Um, next on our list is a, a post for um, best practices and updates for bot lifecycle events in Microsoft Teams. So this is another in a series of posts. A couple of weeks ago, we, I posted about one where they had talked about um, design guidelines for apps in Microsoft Teams. And this one is giving you kind of an overview of the different events that happen in your bot uh, well, the activity messages that get posted to your bot from Microsoft Teams, because if you're a bot framework person, there's a bunch of extra stuff that Teams platform has. So it's great to see another how-to or, you know, big, big picture type of uh, uh, article coming out from the team there. The irony is I could have used this for a meeting I had literally six hours ago where they were asking a different approach, which was, you know, the get all messages API, which is on beta right now, which is a... Uh, you know, has a licensing requirement that the user has to have an E5 license. But they were talking about like, well, if we just use that, our bot could look at what you've been saying and then like make suggestions to you through bot conversations as well. And so I'd be interested to see what kind of best practices they have based on that kind of pattern of usage. 
it's great stuff. It's certainly worth uh, digesting that. Next is a blog post from my favorite designer at Microsoft, Kathy Dew, who uh, is a longtime SharePoint uh, former MVP, now works at Microsoft, and she made a post about designing SharePoint sites with beautiful headers. And so there's been a lot of work I know going on in the SharePoint team about updating the design of communication sites and just in general about the capabilities that they offer for communication teams and so on. So there's uh, this, and this has been staged for quite a while. I know that the, the design work was done a while ago and the engineering work was ongoing, but they finally have started rolling that out and she's got a great post that goes through all the options you can do for making a, just a header on your site. That is really cool. We have a graph one, which I spun up for like all Microsoft employees wide as a kind of a good landing spot. And, um, I was kind of impressed with the default images you could pick from, from the clip art libraries and stuff. But man, these ones that Kathy's got in her screenshots of this blog post, I'm like, I need to go away and look at this because that looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would hope so. Right. She, that used to be her job back in the day. So it's, it's right. awesome. Back in the day, that's what she was always the one you'd go to to get design advice. As a matter of fact, she is the one I went to <laughs> back when I was independent. Absolutely. So uh, good, good thing there. The next one is uh, no surprise, a cl- one close to my heart, Microsoft.identity.web with Azure Functions. And it's Sahil too. Yeah. Sahil, who now works somewhere in the I- Identity group, I think, at Microsoft, right? We should probably reach out. It was kind of hilarious. He didn't really ever like announce that he's he's been at Microsoft a while. Like he's been in this role for he was in a role with Richard Desarigo for a while too. But yeah, he's still blogging away, which is great. And obviously, he's learning a lot. We put him in front of a lot of partners to talk specifically around identity, and you know, my team can do it. But um, there are so many different, like, well, as you know, as an identity expert, Paul, so many different, like, caveats and, oh, well, if you're doing this or you're using SAML. And, and so Sahil's been getting involved with our partners on, on that level. And so it's great to see him blogging and sharing stuff like this around identity web and Azure functions, too. It's, it's cool. Yes. So Microsoft.identity.web is rocking and rolling. We had a show with um, John Danderson and um, Christos Maskos to talk about it. And that was quite a while ago. And so it's improved since then. And and I, one thing I want to point out on Sahil's blog is he doesn't, he doesn't, it's not an ABC, one, two, three, here's step by step. It's kind of a, the, here's the ideas, the things to look at. And he has a, at the bottom of the post, there's five or six reference links that he put in. And those are all very helpful. So be sure to read to the bottom and then click through and fill in the blanks. But it's great to see that um, someone, you know, uh, here's a real world example. And I actually used uh, his sample in a, a user group presentation that I did this week. And so uh, uh, it was great to show that working and uh, helpful stuff. So thanks to Sahil for that. And now the next one is switch to the community side. If I say to you, who's the person who always puts all the steps in his blog post? Who would you think I'm talking about? It's going to be Chris O'Brien. <laughs> it's going to be Chris O'Brian, exactly. So hey, hey, Chris, how you doing? Uh, it's what, between him and Wardek, <laughs> yeah, basically. Exactly. So Chris has posted the slide deck and videos from a presentation he did at ESPC about building AI into Power Platform solutions, and which basically means you're doing either a flow or a power virtual agent, right? And you want to make a call into to cognitive services, if you will. And so Chris uh, was grateful enough to post his uh, slide deck and the, the recording of his video uh, doing that um, to get Azure Cognitive Services <laughs> you know, when you're in a in the Power Platform. So thanks, Chris, for doing that. And the last thing I found, I'm putting a, a blog post 
I'm putting a link to a new initiative out of the Microsoft 365 PNP group. So for the SharePoint people in the crowd, we've known about PNP for quite a long time. But obviously, they've moved into a, a, a wider area. And there was an initiative that they started a while back to get some introductory beginning level blog posts for this new PNP blog that's really on the tech community. And so at the time we're recording this, there are seven articles that go through, uh, run the gamut of things, how to get started, how to do to-do tasks, and how to do Teams app templates, and introduction to JSON, and what is a dev tenant, and why should you get one? So a lot of great uh, content in there. So if you're new to the space, or there's, a, you can't know everything about everything. So if you want to get started in a certain area, I certainly recommend hit that. Some people think they do. Well, that's true. Some of us <laughs> do think that. But <laughs> well, um, it's good to see the dev advocates in here. So Rabia Williams um, and Bob, who are both dev advocates in the M365 team on a Todd Anglin. Um, I'm assuming like the other PMP folks like Wardek will also be in here as well because they're dev advocates too. Well, and it's not just them, right? There's MVPs and there's Julie Turner and, and Maddie yeah, and Paul Bullock. So it's, it's a great issue. Julie Turner and um, Tomas. Yeah. And if there's something you do know a lot about, you want a platform to post it, uh, let us know. I can get you connected with the folks who are running. I think Rabia is the one running that initiative, but uh, we can certainly get you connected. So great to see that yeah. stuff going out there. And it, that reminds me, I want to follow up with some other, there's another initiative about um, the community docs and lifecycle stuff for content that the, the PNP is uh, shepherding as well. Mark, uh, Mark Anderson is working on this and Emily, I can't remember Emily's name, but we'll get those folks in as well. So the PNP stuff is not yeah, just... It's a it's, treasure trove. Yeah, it's not just source code repositories anymore. It's a lot of stuff. So good to see that moving. Le- yeah, Lee Ford's article here is a really good one. Um, he said he was inspired by Ike Bus, who is another uh, Microsoft 365 dev advocate. And uh, he's put together... Uh, a really cool thing actually that where to do is now GA it's a reminder post so it will basically let flow post here are your tasks uh, for today due today into a chat in teams which is cool and I know to do are working on adding a API for the my day list of your tasks too so that would be even more useful I think but oh yeah that'd be great yeah but even just being able to list the tasks that are due today is pretty cool and Talking about screenshot galore here, my gods. Um, you know, all the portal.azure.com app registration screenshots and all the consent and configurations in flow. I'm sure all these screenshots will be out of date and within about a week. <laughs> but, but you'll get the idea for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although the, the Azure portal, I've seen it change recently, but it's not been radical. At least some of the prompts are the same. I was kind of more talking about oh, Flow than I gotcha. was the <laughs> Azure portal, but you know, you can take a dig at that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, so thanks to all those folks for doing that. And so uh, this week on the show, oh, you know, I, I interviewed Victor Villain and I was remiss in an introduction. So here it is. So this week on the show is Victor Villain and Victor is a, an MVP and a regional director who has been around for quite a while, and him and I, well, I think he's the one who strapped me down into the chair and force-fed all those margaritas to me at Ignite, and then you had to come and take me back to the hotel. So that, I think that's my story, and I, I'm sticking I, to I, it. I don't, I don't know if there's, <laughs> if there's any forcing involved with you drinking margaritas. I, I, I'm not sure it's necessary, but you you have your own story. It's fine. It right, so so yeah, Victor, Victor is a, a technology muckety-muck at Avanade, and so he we actually talked a little bit about the Yo! Teams initiative that he did, the Teams app generator, but then we went into other areas about... Uh, 
but just using Azure and, and the data services there and IoT stuff. So it was great to get his perspective, not necessarily as a, as a tactical programmer, but as a big picture architect about what's going on. He's a certified SharePoint master and knows all the stuff that everywhere. So it was great to get his, his knowledge shared. So it's certainly worth listening to the end, and, and uh, his ideas are always worthwhile. So thanks to Victor for coming on the show, and uh, thanks for uh, catching up this week, buddy, and we'll look forward to chatting next week. Yes, cool. I'm looking forward to listening to this one. So this week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome back Victor Villain. Hey, buddy, how are you? Thanks, Paul. I'm I'm okay. Okay, in this working from home situation, we just had a pre-chat here, and <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I love it. Uh, it's snow outside. It's winter here in Sweden. It's cold. Uh, who can't? Uh, who can resist that, right? <laughs> like I'm saying, when, you get, when your body gets to my this age is mine, you don't like all that snow. But I I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, interestingly, yeah, yeah. so the opposite of snow. This week they announced the uh, registration for the MS Ignite phase two here which reminds me of the last in-person ignite where you strapped me to a chair at margaritaville and forced all those margaritas to down my <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i can't wait until till we can meet again in those kind of conferences i don't care that much about sessions but meeting up with everybody around the world etc again yes exactly well so um i first of all i wanted to, to catch up on on some some things here first of all the, you are the author of the Microsoft Teams Yeoman Generator, and I saw a tweet a while back about a preview of version 3. So can you give us the state of the state, if you will, of uh, what's going on with the, the generator? Absolutely. So this has been sort of one of the things I've been pushing forward way too long right now. Uh, but essentially, the generator I created that, I think it's four years ago, almost three and a half years ago, the first one, which was focused on tabs. But then we just keep adding stuff to it as soon as Microsoft added more features to Teams, added more man manifest versions going from 1.4 up to 1.9, which was released last week. So we just piled new stuff on top of that. And also, since it does actual generator and the scaffolded code grew so much. So we need I need to take a step back and rethink a couple of things, both in terms of how open source projects are typically scaffolded, what kind of tools people use and update all these kind of NPM packages that have that has been updated over the last few years, etc. But also make it much smoother and faster for someone to get get up to speed on building a Teams app with all these different kind of options. So I refactored most of the the core scaffolding, a lot of things are still the same, but it's way faster to scaffold something right now. Uh, it's a much slimmer uh, sort of scaffolded solution to start with, but you have the options to add more stuff if you want to. So that's a great thing. And I received a lot of feedback as well from, from the community about uh, multiple things. I've even received help from the TypeScript team, uh, helping to optimize the build uh, process for certain uh, areas, etc. how we, we transpile the TypeScript into to smart uh, JavaScript code that uh, Webpack can sort of minify and optimize. So it's a great version, I think. Uh, and uh, I really like the way it, it's the, the scaffolded projects turns out right now. And hopefully within the next few days, I need to update the documentation. Uh, we can push version three out as well. And the documentation has been one of those things that's been on my backlog for far too long. <laughs> Well, is it the story of our lives, exactly. You know, so I, yeah. <laughs> I have some feedback for you. So my son, who is uh, in his mid-20s and not technical at all, but in this pandemic, so uh, he was helping me help. I needed to do some review of some, some documentation. So I had him sit down and do it and run the generator. And his feedback was, there's too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and we can blame the Microsoft Teams platform for that, right? There's too many options that you have to answer. <laughs> yeah. 
And that's exactly one of the things I fixed now. I have an option. It's called quick scaffolding in this preview, but essentially it's a question, yes or no, do you want all the advanced options or not? So that's one of the first questions being asked. Yes, but of course, I 100% agree. You have to press like, when I do demo, press enter like 25 times just to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny how giving demos on a technology makes us optimizer, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, so you mentioned the, the, the manifest version has changed in, in Teams, and usually that's tied with you know, capabilities of the platform. And so of all these capabilities, what, what, what do you think is, the, what are you still seeing is the coolest thing? I know that, you know, we've talked about this a lot in various settings, but with a little hindsight, what's the, what's the best part of the Teams app platform that you really think is pretty cool? Yeah, the, my, still my favorite is messaging extension or message extension or coupons extensions or whatever. I think that way of adding adaptive card or rich or actionable content into the conversations, that's my favorite feature if implemented correctly with information from, I don't know, CRM systems like or ServiceNow or whatever. That's my favorite feature. But in terms of, of new features, I think the meeting extensions is amazing. I think that's a great way to actually add or enrich the meetings with your line of business applications, etc. Etc. And, and that's what also something we and that's that came out in version one point eight, I think it is right. But but we also built a couple of client applications around that, which they feel that that's exactly what they needed to make those meetings with their either their clients or partners. And in this, this specific case, we built a solution for for a healthcare provider uh, where they have a virtual patient meetings and being able to look up that patient during that meeting and share that information with that patient is a great opportunity and perfect example of how to use Teams meeting extensions. Yeah, I like that, you know, because when it first came out at the meeting or the talks that I saw, at least anyways, Microsoft's point of view is how a bot can help facilitate the meeting, blah, blah, blah. And, and of course, them being a what I call a horizontal company, they didn't have specifics, but I love to hear that feedback where, you know, someone in a meeting can pull up data about the participant sort of patient scenario. That's really pretty terrific stuff. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, we still have to use uh, a bot in this case because we're tracking when the patient entered the meetings and leave the meeting and, and transcribers and family and friends and those kind of things as well because uh, they need to, to track that and have the auditing trails of that. So we still have a bot in that meeting just listening to those kind of conversations or events, so to say. That, but that's a great tech that to me, that's a great application of technology. Why do I have to have someone whose job it is to watch who shows up and leaves when I can do that yeah. and let, let the people in the meeting focus on what they want to do? That That's pretty that's pretty great stuff. Yeah. And also the solution I, I want to mention, I think actually we've talked about favorite features in Teams. This is not directly connected to Teams, but Microsoft uh, fairly recently announced Azure Communication Services. I think you talked about that on the podcast, right? We did. We did. Yeah. This is what we used in this case. and. and I think that I love the way that we could create a great user experience for these patients that might not even be able to start up the, a meeting, etc. And create, but it create an easy experience for them to just sign in to the meeting and then bring their family or friends into that meeting and have that doc, uh, doctor's appointment. So we're combin combining sort of the, using ACS for the front end for patients and then using Microsoft Teams as a back end for the clinicians. Yeah, that uh, we interviewed Sean Henry on that service back in October, so you can find that if you if you're interested. But yeah, that that's it. when I first saw that, my mind was kind of blown because there's like so many different things there. But uh, wow, great to see, great to see it's yeah. in use. Yeah, and it's it's fairly easy way to get up uh, get up get up to speed on that. Well, sort of the Teams integration a little bit more complex, but using ACS to build 
custom chat or, or voice or calling application is super yes. easy. Well, well, super easy, right? So, so for yeah, our listeners, yeah. so I'm going to embarrass you here, but I'm going to tell you when Victor says something is super easy, here's what that means. We had a dev kitchen and they flew a bunch of us out or we got to Redmond to learn about SPFX. And Paul spent a day and a half trying to figure out how to spell node and how to run node. And then by the time I got my thing running, Victor is showing people how he can launch a rocket using SPFX. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> and then a year and a half later, we went to a second one and I complained about Node and me and Eric were messing around with an, SP, with an SPFX extension Visual Studio and Victor wrote an SPFX framework that can land the rockets from the Tesla launches for us. <laughs> so when he says it's super easy, what he really means is he really enjoys doing it, which is great stuff. Yeah, And, exactly. and that, that brings me to my next question, which is a total right turn. You know, I'm an old guy, right? And so technology is kind of, around the house is kind of a, eh. Well, I actually have a light that can turn red when I'm on a meeting. Because, you know, there's nobody in the house except me, but that light is red, <laughs> doggone it. And then I have my garage tied to the internet and my Christmas lights. And I'm thinking, man, I'm doing good. And then I see you on Twitter, how you updated the firmware on your toothbrush. So what in the world yeah. is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love to geek out on those kind of things. And yes, I do have a toothbrush that uh, that I get statistics on how, how long I brush my, my teeth, etc. And, and the, actually, it has a coverage report, right? <laughs> so I need to go. <laughs> I need to have at least ninety percent to get approved. Then I get badges for that in awards and stuff. <laughs> so, so did you three D print that toothbrush too? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I think that's, I love that kind of data and statistics. Um, so I, I have a, a thermometer, a weight scale and, and all those kind of things and, and keeping track of that because I, I'm super passionate about that data and being able to analyze trends and whatnot, specific, not the, wrong, to, not the tooth brushing, but um, <laughs> yeah, your, your body temperature is of course important these kind of days to be able to understand that and perhaps detect those kind of things um, uh, if you get infected or whatever uh, ahead of time or when you do that. So I, I love those kind of things. But yes, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm all out on these kind of connected stuff. So I'm getting my house more and more connected here. Uh, it's not directly wife approved yet, but the kids love it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's one of the barriers I have is if I put a light bulb in, she has to be able to turn it on and off without having to launch an app. But anyways, so do you have uh, any favorite gadget around the house that's Wi-Fi connected? Favorite? Uh, yeah, and I had another discussion actually, we uh, chatted with Andrew, Andrew Connell today, AC, and I mentioned my, my blinds I have in my office, which are connected to, they go down essentially based on the cloudiness outside and, and uh, when the sun uh, goes up and down, those kind of things. So I haven't, been, I haven't touched that uh, manually for a year, a year and a half. So it's automatically in my office going up and down. And also in my office, I have a small CO2 meter. Some of that, actually I got a warning on my phone now that's uh, the, <laughs> the part per million is too high. And it starts a fan blowing in some extra fresh uh, air into my office. Wow, that's, that, I love that. You, you like it for the data maybe, but to just make life easier for folks is really, yeah. that's pretty slick stuff. And that kind of leads me to the reason I went down this path is we were chatting before about how uh, um, looking at that data, analyzing that data, you found that you are having fun with uh, some some great named technology from Microsoft there in, in the Cosmos space. So um, yes. I'll let, I'll let you tell them what you think is a great name and then what, what this technology is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So one of the solutions I've been working on right now is uh, around analyzing users' behaviors and, and, and how they interact with certain features. And we need a good data storage for that. And, and of course, we want to use everything in Azure. Uh, you built on the Azure stack. Uh, not, not the Azure stack, but the Azure stack of features. We, of 
course, want to use Cosmos, uh, and uh, I started using the Gremlin uh, APIs for that, and starting that about almost a year ago now. And I will never go back to building a database using any other APIs, such as SQL or Cassandra or whatnot, because the Gremlin APIs are built for graph databases. It's schemaless. But you have instead of tables and relationships, you have uh, vertices and edges. So they vertices are connected to edges, and there, you have infinite scale on that. And you can traverse uh, from one vertice cross edges to another vertice, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and find the shortest path between uh, relationships and, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's super cool when you have a lot of data that you might not know uh, ahead of time how you want to analyze and how they're or how they are structured and you want to detect patterns in that or relationships uh, in that data or do data analysis on top of that or smart queries so that sounds like there's probably a whole show in and of itself but is that do, do i need to to do i need to know what's in these files or is it does it include the ability to say go discover what's in there and tell me what what what's in the data that i can then look at yeah you can absolutely you can do just a query is uh, the a simple query get all vertices right and, and vertices uh, you've been working with azure cosmos db and and, and vertex uh, is uh, just a, a document right so and it is uh, you you can query it using sql as well but the gremlin apis and and the Grem, if you set up the cosmos db Cosmos DB to be used with Gremlin, they optimize sort of the indexes for that. But essentially, they have a specific query, so a query language called Gremlin, Tinkerpop Gremlin. Uh, unfortunately, um, Cosmos DB doesn't support everything in the latest versions of Tinkerpop, uh, but uh, it's good enough to get started or create fairly large stuff in. However, these queries can be quite expensive, as you know, with Cosmos DB as well. Specifically, I have a lot of data and want to find those kind of uh, smaller paths between. So. I also use sort of Azure Data Factory to extract data and do traditional uh, analysis on top of that if you want to do big data analysis. Yeah, I think that's kind of a trade-off between I, I know that there's some data in there and I want to see statistics about it and where Power BI is helpful, maybe I want to pull it out. But if I don't know what I'm looking for, to your point, right, maybe it's worth that expense to have it go scour and tell me what's up, right? The, the I guess where where when you first mentioned this to me, I was like, well, there's no way I'm ever going to get rid of SQL Server B just because that's how my brain is wired. And I'm, I'm guessing you're seeing less of a need for that type of transaction data, or do you think it's more of a case of how applications these days are less transactional? And yes. So to give an example, if you have two tables in SQL, you have a relationship between them. That's a relationship, right? But there's no. Uh, unless you in introduce a third table uh, in between those, uh, a specific relationship table, you, you have no properties on that relationship. But in this case, in an edge in uh, between two vertices in, in uh, a Gremlin database uh, can have properties. So you can have a weight, for instance. So if you want to find the, the fastest way between two or the most expensive ways between two nodes or vertices, you can ask questions like that or specific type of relationships. So and it's also fairly easy to update uh, and add new ver edges between the vertices. So that's a, that's a sort of the big difference between having that fixed structure or even if you use a document DB or whatever in, in Cosmos, right? Uh, it's that, that you have those properties on the relation uh, relationships or edges. And I would imagine we tie this back to some of the applications you were talking about where we're tracking meeting information. You never know what's going to be in there, how many people, who those people are, what they're talking about, right? So do you find that helpful in that scenario? Yeah, it's not scenarios about learning and, and training and those kind of things. You have might you have your your 
people that's taking the training in their classes. You have your classes, you have the trainers, etc. And, and having relationships, who took what training, etc. You can model that using SQL, but using graph database, you can put, as I said, properties on those vertices and find out uh, if, and create uh, find patterns easier. Uh, if someone took this course, they are more likely than to take these other other courses based on uh, their skills and knowledge, etc. And so I think that's uh, an interesting way of of seeing using graph databases in, in that way. And the other thing that pops into my mind as you're describing that, I can remember back in the day, we'd spend months and months and months designing our database tables because adding a column or change is always a pain, right? I would imagine in this day and age, it's much easier to just plop a new attribute on a JSON document and find it later, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and, it, and everything is JSON, even in, in Gremlin, they have, they have two ways of, of writing queries, either use bytecode or use the simple text and they get JSON back. Uh, but that's more the Y protocol. Uh, but yeah, it's JSON, so it's super easy. And, and I, <laughs> person like me that has, hasn't touched C sharp and those kind of things in years, <laughs> always using JavaScript and Node, it's super easy to, to work e with. E well, yeah, okay. <laughs> We're not going to have that argument unless there's margaritas involved. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another day. Yeah, yeah I, although, so just to reiterate then, this Gremlin stuff you're talking about is a query language on top of my document. So if I have stuff already using Cosmos and I'm using the SQL interface to that, I could still build on top? Almost. Uh, when you set up uh, Cosmos, uh, you choose one of the four, I think it's four, right? You have the normal uh, SQL, you have Cassandra, you have Mongo, and then you have Gremlin. So you choose what API you want to use. It's the same storage uh, underneath, and it works the same way with request units and all that, but it's up the the indexes and everything is optimized based on that your query language. And then you have different kind of API endpoints. So it's gremlin.cosmos.whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you can actually take, you can ask SQL questions to that Gremlin database if you want to, if you understand how, how they model the data, right. of course. Yeah, so that, that's great. All right. But you should, but you should, you should always use the, the same uh, sort of query language as you specify when you set, set it up. Yeah, unless you're like me and you just need to get out the door and like, oh, I yeah. probably did that wrong. Let me go back and refactor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but life such as life, right? Yeah. So the, um, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about is, is more along the lines of, uh, well, figure, figure out that Azure stuff, right? So the, the Azure uh, set of capabilities, obviously storage and query is, is a big bit on that. So what other pieces of Azure do you find helpful in your systems as you build them and scale them out? So of course, uh, after Cosmos, I think Cosmos is the perfect storage for that. But with all, as we discussed, sometimes you need a table storage, right? For, for simple configuration, whatnot, and, and using a table storage or blob storage for those kind of things makes sense. Uh, specifically, it's something that's very high traffic. You query very often. You might use those kind of things. And, I love sort of the Azure storage because that is purely consumption-based. You can have how many accounts you want to. You don't pay for the accounts. Uh, or, or So it's just a the consumption model. So that's one way. But then also thinking about uh, Cosmos and reducing cost for that using Redis cache. Uh, I use that a ton because I think it uh, has so many uh, good... Uh, applications for it, both caching data, but also integrating with Socket.io, for instance, and having that as a distributed cache and, and sending events back and forth works perfect for that. So that's also one of 
the typical core components I have. Then of course, uh, I I absolutely love app configuration and key vault, that combination for storing my everything from secrets to configuration for different environments, etc. I want to get into sort of the feature modeling in app configuration. Haven't done that yet, but- uh, The feature um, flags, right? Yeah, feature flags, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I just rolled out an update that the uses app Azure app config as well. Love that, totally love that. Um, and, and my scenario was a case of I had a, I had a little app on my PC to run and update the Cosmos database as necessary because we're running a service and and I really didn't want to be the guy who has to do that, especially since, no. you know, <laughs> some of the support people in the office are working when I'm still asleep. <laughs> um, and so mm. taking stuff out of, you know, a config file or out of uh, out of uh, the settings in Visual Studio, putting it in app config was great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And speaking of that, I actually... For you, you who like Node, I made a uh, small NPM package that combines sort of the app config, but also local configuration with uh, like .env files. So and and with Key Vault, so a simple Node package just to read that data, so you can have some configuration in the cloud, some local overrides if you want to when when you're developing local, etc. You know that's built into .NET, by the way. Yeah, you know, that comes free. It comes free. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, th I think they have added that to the uh, the Node package as well, but I needed that for for a couple of months ago. <laughs> But it's great. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And, and now the other thing that I, I have bumped into, and I'm sure you do a lot of it, is a lot of the Azure networking stuff, right? So I presume you're writing applications at scale. Um, do, you, do you find uh, front door and all those network tools useful? Front door is also something I use for two reasons. Uh, um, first of all, yes, it's a secure way of, of protecting sort of your, your realm or whatever you have, right? You have the load balancing and those kind of features for different kind of endpoints and backend services and whatnot, so that's great. But also I've been using it for when I just do test development of Teams applications with single sign-on. For instance, you know, uh, I think they actually fixed this, but uh, in the beginning with SSO tabs in Teams, you couldn't use azurewebsites.net because that was uh, considered an unsecure resource. So you couldn't use that for your SSO tabs. So you could uh, use Azure Front Door instead. So it was just something.azurefd.net. So that's another use case for that. But Front Door is, I think that's amazing with the built-in features of uh, ensuring that all your web apps are up and running or load balancing between them. And it's, it's easy configuration. Paul even figured it out. That's how easy it is, yeah. right? <laughs> so you you mentioned the Teams SSO, and, and so is that part of the generator now, or is that part of what's coming? Yeah, we have that in the, have that have had that in the generator for quite some time now. So it's also make that whole kind of experience much easier for you when when you set it up. And uh, that's what part of the documentation I'm doing as well, helping you with. The, the exact steps you need to do what to set it up in Azure if you want to publish it as well. Yes, and and uh, we've already reached out to the the team at Microsoft. We're going to get them on the show as well, so folks who are listening can uh, hold your breath on that. I have some questions because I'm working on some of that stuff and have some issues already, but we'll we'll get to there. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. like the app URI. Why does it have to be that special value? So that's that's kind of the the one thing that that kind of interesting. Yeah. So the, with the URL, you mean? But do you have to specify the URL? No, the app URI in the app registration, you have to use that specific bot ID dash whatever format. Okay, yeah, yeah for single sign-up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so of course yeah. that breaks existing code, but we'll have that conversation with those who can fix it. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So uh, 
what's what's next for Victor? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, we can't traveling around, but uh, are, are you doing online events at all? Or are you just uh, building great systems and tinkering with toys? <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I want to build great systems. That's what I what I do. But yeah, I'd like to talk about that as well. Uh, unfortunately, there aren't that many uh, events going on right now. There are some online events, of course. Unfortunately, I don't think it's the same thing when you don't get that, that interaction. Uh, I'd love to more do more in-person conferences when we can do. I do some of the, the online ones, uh, and I think uh, depending on the Collab Summit coming up in June, if we can do it in person or not, I don't know yet. But uh, yeah, I, I'm doing some online stuff. But Are you doing a Teams workshop again for that the Collab Summit? Not this year. No. Uh, I don't recall the session I had. <laughs> it's a few months away. <laughs> but there's there's a lot of things cooking as well. And, and and if you get the Teams team on board uh, soon, you will hear some of the great stuff they're working on, both when it comes to tabs and other stuff. Uh, I know, hopefully at Ignite, or Build, it's in May, right? Uh, there will be some more announcement around the whole kind of Micro 365. There's some good stuff cooking in Redmond now. Yep, and then for, by the time you listen to this, folks, you will have heard there's a new product launch. Uh, Victor and I recording just after Sacha finished. Uh, Sa- I, you know, I thought he'd join us, but he didn't. He didn't answer my invite. So, but uh, <laughs> so lots of good stuff coming yeah. out. Well, great. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy life to, to to catch up with me and to to share these insights with our listeners. Sorry, it was kind of a haphazard thing, but that's what happens when you <laughs> when you sit down and chat with an old buddy. You just yeah. go wherever the conversation takes you. So thanks so much for doing it, and look forward to getting you back on soon, bud. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Thank you and uh, uh, missing the margaritas. Take care. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.